Welcome. It is good to have you. And just a reminder that wherever you've come from to be here this morning, whatever's been going on in your life or is going on in your life, wherever you're at in your thinking about about God, uh, about life, about death, about faith, we do pray um, that this morning is uh, is helpful. So let me just pull this up as we begin. Here we are. Here it is. Well, I'll start off by asking you a question. Have you ever been saved out of a hopeless situation? Like really hopeless. So when Todd Endress was struck three times by a shark, uh, the situation seemed hopeless. He thought he was going to die until a group of bottlenose dolphins came to his rescue. They formed a circle around him and stayed with him until he made his way safely to shore. Uh, Yan Yun, when she was in a deep diving competition, she became paralysed by the coldness of the water and couldn't resurface. But Yan Yun was saved when a beluga whale brought her to the surface. Amazing, isn't it? But here's my favourite. It's about Lulu, the pot-bellied pig. She saved her owner's life after they had a heart attack. Lulu waddled out and lay down in the middle of the road. The next car stopped, the driver got out to see what was wrong, found Lulu's owner, called the ambulance. Lulu's owner was saved. Do you know the joy of being saved out of a hard or hopeless situation? Evangelist and author of Hope Explored, or Christianity Explored as well, um, Rico Tice, he says this about hope, or something like this. We all know the emotional power that hope can have, don't we? Hope can lift our head through a hard day. It can put a spring in our step, a smile on our face. It can pull us forward through the hard days to that day when that hope is finally realised. We all know about hope. And I suspect at the start of this year, you have hopes, you have dreams. Uh, Some aspirational, uh, some goals. But in this world, where death is real, mental illness is a growing scourge and, 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 and problem that so many people have, hope can just seem really hard to come by for some. Notwithstanding that, you've got the grief of loved ones lost, the disappointments of dreams dashed, the painful memories as well of ruptured relationships um, that seem to sort of bubble up as well uh, this time of the year, don't, don't they? And then you've just got the fears of what will this year bring? Another pandemic. There I mentioned that other C word. What will it bring? Let's be honest. We really can't be sure. But this brings us to why Luke is writing his gospel for us. Uh, One of the reasons Luke is one of my favourite gospels is because he was a doctor Um, So, of course, you know, you trust everything your doctor says, don't you? Okay, all right, let's not go there. Um, But um, he's writing to give his readers certainty about the things about Jesus. Some people are already followers, they know certain things about Jesus, other people don't know much at all. And so he's writing at every point to help us to see Jesus clearly, who Jesus is, why he's come and what it means to follow him. 
And in in that particular reading from Luke chapter 2 this morning, Luke invites us to see the hope, the real flesh and blood hope of God's newborn king for this new year. And he's doing it through the testimony of those who were there, through the eyewitnesses of those who were there. And really, if you're looking for a title for this passage, the headliner, that just headlines everything else he's going to say in, in the rest of Luke 2, it's there in verse 21. That's what I've called salvation's name, salvation's name. And at the end of eight days, when he, that is Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. I wonder if, um, I presume we all have a name, Uh, do you know what your first name means? So my wife's first name is Gita. It, It means sacred song or poem. Dean Andrews, first name, it means strong, denoting bravery or courage. Jesus' name means God saves. Jesus' name literally is his job description, God saving. And Luke writes to give his readers certainty that if whoever you are, whatever um, CV or... um, you know, track record you have in your life. Whoever you are, wherever you've come from, however broken a life you feel you've lived up to this point, if you have Jesus, if you have hold of Jesus, you have hold of God's salvation. Not just for you, but for your people, your family, indeed, God's salvation for the whole world. So what follows, really, is what I've called Luke's Salvation Sandwich. Now, who loves a good sandwich? Anyone? So one of my favourite post-Christian traditions, all right, is you get two slices of sourdough bread. You get two slices of mature cheese, and you pack in as much of that leftover smoked Christmas ham as you can, and then you toast it. Is anyone with me? Anyone? Oh, yeah. Sorry if I'm making you hungry already, but this is, <laughs> yeah, it is. And, um, but I'm counting the cost this Christmas. I'm here with you guys, not having my smoked Christmas ham sandwiches. But anyway, that's sort of what Luke's doing in this passage. So the two pieces of bread are salvation's word. The two pieces of cheese are the two watchers that we heard about, Simeon and Anna. And then, of course, the whole reason for the passage, the whole reason for my sandwich is the ham, isn't it? It's the smoked ham. Well, that's right at the heart of what Luke wants us to uh, um, to know, which is the, the, the witness, the testimony. So we begin with the two pieces of bread, right? Salvation's word. Now, I don't know if you heard when that passage was read out, but it begins and ends with a focus on God's word. Let me just remind us. I'll read it out to us. It might be up on the screen. Is it up on the screen, Crystal? No, it's not. Rightio. Let me read it out. Let me say, if you do have a Bible, open up to Luke. Uh, what page are we on? Who's got their Bible open? Anyone? Perhaps open up Luke 2 to, on your phone, your favourite app, or uh, grab a Bible. There's plenty of Bibles there. We are on page 1033 in these Bibles that are over there, okay? But let me just read it out to us. 
And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law. And then the very last verse of our reading today from verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Why does Luke mention the law of the Lord five times, five times just in this short passage? Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to a doctor and when I take my kids to a doctor, I like to just check that they've got the right credentials, you know, um, that they're suitably qualified. And really that's the heart of what Luke's doing here as he's mentioning the law of the Lord, law of Moses, um, that Jesus is the most perfectly, beautifully credentialed and qualified saviour that the world needs. Let me explain. 1,500 years before Jesus, God saved Israel from slavery out of Egypt. How did he do that? Through the death of a Passover lamb for the life of each family's firstborn son. If you had the blood of that Passover lamb on the lintel of your house door, God's judgment passed over you and your family and their firstborn, but it fell on the firstborn of Egyptians. Since then, for 1,500 years, the law of Moses or the law of the Lord prescribed that every firstborn son had to be redeemed by a sacrifice at the temple or the, the, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And the way that a family did that was by two pigeons or two turtle doves. So just think about it. 1,500 years, you've got um, innumerable number of Israelite families coming to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, coming to the temple with their firstborn son to be circumcised on the eighth day, but also to, be, to, to offer this sacrifice. And so for them, and indeed in the eyes of all Israel, they were continually reminded that they were only God's saved people because of the costly gift of sacrifice. And who is the provider of all of these sacrifices? Well, of course, God is. It's his world. He's the creator. But more importantly, every time this occurred, it pointed to the better Passover lamb sacrifice, who would not only come and take away the sin of the world, but be the one through whom God promised to remake a broken world. I try to, it, it's sort of like this. I think this story is true. So there was a father, he got up, woke up um, too early one Christmas morning, and he thought, excellent, a bit of daddy time before the kids wake up and things get crazy. So he makes himself a coffee, gets the Christmas newspaper. He's just starting to read the paper when he hears the pitter-patter of little steps down the stairs. It's his little, you know, four-year-old daughter. 
and he was really keen to enjoy his coffee and his newspaper. So on the opposite page of the newspaper, he, he saw a picture of, of, of the world. And so he cut it out, got some scissors, and, and he cut it up into lots of pieces, gave them to his daughter and a, and a piece of sticky tape, and sent her away to see if she could put the world back together. Anyway, he's just settling back down, reading his paper. Daddy, Daddy, you've finished, I've finished. And sure enough, she's back. She's holding up the piece of paper, all sort of stuck back together. She's put the world back together. It's like, wow, how did you do that so quickly? Oh, it was easy, Daddy, because what I noticed on the back was a picture of a man. And if you make the man right, you make the world right. And that's really Luke's point here, that this Jesus, fully God, fully man, he's made him perfectly right, perfectly credentialed, perfectly qualified, only in and through this one can and is God remaking a broken world. Well, we come back to our salvation sandwich, Luke's salvation sandwich, and we meet our first watcher, a watcher man, Simeon. As I said, Simeon and Anna are like the cheese in our sandwich. Um, and what we, we heard, didn't we? They're two spirit, two Holy Spirit-saturated sentinels sent by God to watch and witness for the arrival of God's salvation. You see, some 800 years before Jesus, in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6, God promised he'd put sentinels or watchers at Jerusalem for the arrival of his salvation in Jerusalem so they could announce it. So humanity wouldn't miss it. And so let me read it. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. And so we come to Simeon, chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. Just means he was um, in the right with God, having been declared blameless by God before him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. In fact, Luke says three times, the Holy Spirit's mentioned another time, three times we're told the Spirit of the living God was either on or with or guiding Simeon. Now this is the same Holy Spirit whom God sent to overshadow a young virgin with child. The same Holy Spirit has prepared people long before the virgin event, to be ready, watching, ready to witness for Jesus' arrival. Now, right here, Luke is showing us that you've got all of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. They are all in for humanity's salvation here. And these quotes from Isaiah remind us that, in fact, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, all of God has been all in for more than 800 years. But in fact, we read in the New Testament, Ephesians 1, this God has been all in before the creation of the world, planning and preparing for your salvation. Wow. One of the most beautiful and helpful things we can ever do at the restart of a new year is to, to be helped to just sit back and go, oh, to see again afresh just how big and awesome is our God. 
one of the most helpful things we can do to recalibrate, get our priorities right. But what has Simeon been waiting for? What have Simeon and Anna been waiting for? Well, we're told, aren't we? They've been waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, the consolation prize is what you get for losing, isn't it? <laughs> has anyone ever lost a race? There's, not, there's no time for pride here when you're at church together. I'm giving you lots of chances for us to show, to be humble. Stick your hand right up. Come on, we have. We, we've, all, we've all lost at something, haven't we? When my grandson Ari, when he gets a bump or a cut, he calls it a boo-boo and he comes running up to mum or dad or whoever, that, and, he, and he wants to be comforted. And, and the way he wants his boo-boo to be comforted is by putting the magical band-aid on the boo-boo. Maybe you know that magic as a parent. Our granddaughter Priya, she's only um, two, she, 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 when she's having a moment, she goes, cuddles, 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 cuddles. <laughs> she, she wants a cuddle to be consoled and comforted. And that's really the meaning here of, of consolation. It, it means to console is to, to comfort in a time of hardship or suffering. And the, and the Bible's story of humanity is that from the beginning, we get ourselves lost from God because we think life is better without God. Life is better with us in charge, isn't it? And, and so what we've got at this moment here in, in Luke, Luke 1 and 2 is we've got Jesus arriving to a humanity who are under God's judgment. And in particular, he's arriving to his own people, Israel, who are described as being in exile from God, under God's judgment, away from God's uh, promised land as his people. Some 800 years before Jesus, though, God promised this is what he was going to do in and through Israel for all the world. From Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2, comfort, comfort, my people. It's the same word as consolation, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, if I pay double for something, it's, it's more than paid for, isn't it? That's not what the meaning is here. <laughs> Has anyone ever done origami? Or seen it? I mean, I love, it blows me away what people can do with a piece of paper. But the meaning of the word double here is more like the most perfect and beautiful divine origami that you have ever seen. What it is, it's you've got, on one half of the piece of paper, all of humanity's sin. And on the other half of the piece of paper is you've got God's perfect exact match that completely covers over all the sin. It's the most perfect origami you will ever see. This comfort, comfort is the promise of God coming to pay the debt of all our sin and declaring a pardon for all who will turn to Jesus. Like the Christmas ham is the whole point of me making my sandwich, so we come to the point, the mountaintop, if you like, the hero of Luke's salvation sandwich. It's, it's the witness, salvation's witness. Let me just remind us again what it is Simeon says when he lays eyes on Jesus for the first time. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, 
which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. My eyes have seen your salvation. Through Simeon's Holy Spirit-inspired speaking, we not only learn who Jesus is, but who he's for. And what the Holy Spirit is doing here is he's bringing to, to Simeon's mind um, passages from Isaiah, and particularly passages from the four servant songs of Isaiah, where God prophesies what his servant, who will suffer and, and save humanity from sin, um, um, yeah, what he's going to do. And so from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, we read this. God says it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Israel and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Whose salvation is it? God's salvation, my salvation. Which explains why Simeon calls it the infant that he holds in his arms your salvation as he praises God, your salvation. Because Jesus really is salvation. And it's mind-blowing to think that a moment in history and time, there was a human being called Simeon holding in his hands the salvation of the world. Oh, that's just mind-blowing, isn't it? Who is God's salvation for, though? Well, we heard, didn't we? The Gentiles, the ends of the earth, people who were um, from the nations. But again, we, we, we read in Isaiah chapter 52, which is that reading we had from Isaiah. See if you can hear the resonance of this passage with what's going on in Luke 2. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices together. They shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Now, just look around. This, I, I can't see too many spare seats. <laughs> People from I don't know how many different nations and parts of the world here, many of whom have seen this salvation as we've come to hear and learn and know of this Saviour through Scripture. And of course, in the Bible, the way we see is through our ears, isn't it? It's as we hear and heed God's word for our life. Um, Taylor was a soon-to-be anxious new mum, um, not yet 18 years old. And I met Taylor in a mining town called Roxby Downs, which is 500 kilometres north of Adelaide in the Australian desert. Uh, it's, it's, I, I describe it as being in the middle of the Red Sea in Australia, which it, it's, there's a lot of red dirt. A lot of desert. Four and a half thousand people. From her first breath, Taylor's challenges have been many. Her mum abandoned her the moment she was born. 
Taylor had been raised by her dad in places like Roxby, where he works 12-hour shifts in the mines. The father of her soon-to-be-born child had also abandoned her the moment he found out she was pregnant. It was October last year, and Taylor was walking um, by Roxby Downs Community Church, and she doesn't know what it was, but something made her turn around, walk back down the road, and through the door of the church. She was welcomed and befriended by Gemma. Now, Gemma was a, a young mum with three children, and she had come to learn and know about Jesus only two years earlier, um, been a Christian for two years. Uh, Gemma took her to a new group for mums in town. Gemma invited uh, Taylor into her home, got to know her, have her at meals, uh, invited to their midweek Bible study, and then with Pastor Glenn, did Christianity Explored with, with Taylor. And as she did that and she read through Mark's Gospel, Taylor met a God who loved her, who'd sent his son to, to die for her, to cover her sinful past so that she could be forgiven for everything, so even she could become a daughter of God in God's family. She'd met a God who loves and accepts her for who she is, a God who promises will never abandon her, ever, even through death. Taylor became a Christian at the end of last year. And this photo is when she was baptised with her new little baby boy, Clifton, as a new believer in March last year. I should say it was October 22. It's, it's a beautiful story of grace. Do you know the joy of God's pardon and peace in Jesus? Have you, have you come to see and know and, and really, like really, with all your heart, mind and soul, grabbed hold of this Jesus as your only hope, your salvation? Because I promise you, sisters and brothers, there is no better or more powerful life-transforming choice that you can make ever, but especially at the start of this year. Now, I don't know, as I said, where you've come from, where you're at, and you're thinking about God, uh, whether you're, you're here because um, someone's invited you, you might know nothing, you might have all sorts of questions, all sorts of struggles, all sorts of real reasons um, why it would be really hard for you to believe in God. Well, this afternoon is a course called Reason for God. That's four weeks where you can come, you can ask any question you want, um, or you can just listen. And it's not too late. Um, to change your plans for this afternoon and, and, and come. It's on for the next four um, Sunday Arvos. Or again, ask a friend, ask someone, how would, how would I do that Hope Explored course or Christian Explored? Like, ask someone. But as we just pivot, and for those who pray, can I get you to pray, please, for, for Taylor and Clifton? Uh, her dad and other people have become, uh, they've reacted that she's become a Christian. And given her, her history and just everything else, um, life is pretty hard for Taylor on a whole number of fronts. And I think this explains why Simeon goes on to say what he says uh, to Mary, isn't it? That this son of yours is destined to cause the rising and falling of many. We read from verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul as well, 
so that many thoughts, the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Now, I don't know about you, I don't like secret things in my life being made public. <laughs> but this is all part and core to Jesus' humbling, rescuing work. He knows that in order to save us, he needs to reveal our stubborn pride in here. He's got to put our finger on it. He needs to expose the deepest thoughts of our hearts because he longs to give us new hearts after God's own heart. He longs to literally recreate us, to begin to recreate us into new human beings with new hearts. But more than this, Simeon prophesies to Mary that this child's coming will sift and question allegiances. It would bring divisions within families, even pierce the hearts of Mary and Joseph as well. Now, perhaps like Gita and myself, you have family who you love dearly, who are yet to cry out for Jesus to save them. Save them. And that what that means is, is, is that there's a, in some of our relationships, there's friction and at times some pretty sharp angles. I've got one um, uh, family member or, or, or relative. They're a staunch atheist. Not long after he had joined our family through marriage, he said, look, John, I respect you, but please do not ever try to talk to me about religion or God or invite me to church ever. And uh, he can't even be in a church, not been to our kids' Christian weddings. I respect him because he's living out his beliefs. I wonder if us as Christians lived out our beliefs with as much conviction. I wonder what that could look like. See, in the words of our granddaughter prayer, for God to be able to come and cuddle us, cuddle us, and wrap us up safe in his arms, this son of God first had to open his arms wide on a cross for us. And that's really what it involves to be a Christian. It brings us to God's um, watcher woman, that other piece of cheese in, our, in Salvation Sandwich, uh, Anna. Though we pick it up from verse 36, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Widowed after seven years of marriage, the dreams of having a family and the future that comes through having a family and kids and grandkids, the whole thing, it's gone, taken away from her. Anna's been fending for herself for over 60 years as a widow, waiting and watching in the temple courts. And perhaps there are some of us here who are familiar with the grief and the hopelessness um, of losing a sibling, a, a parent too young, a spouse, or even a child. The inconsolable grief that follows the story of scripture, interestingly, is God continually taking his people and his prophets and even his own son out into the wilderness desert places to discover 
that God alone really, really, really is enough. That God can be trusted to provide and to keep his promises no matter what life throws at us. I think Anna is a beautiful picture of what it means for us to wait and watch for God's good promises to come to pass. And of course, finally, the day arrives, verse 38. Coming up to Joseph and Mary at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child. To all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. You notice the pattern, Simeon and Anna, to lay eyes on, on, on God's salvation is to break out in rapturous praise and thanksgiving to God, which then spills over into witness about this child to others. Because we notice that Anna wasn't waiting alone. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. There were others looking forward to God's promised future in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever had to wait by yourself for something. Boy, it can be lonely. It can be really hard. So easily tempted just to give up. (laughs) This is a waste of time. But these men and women, they watched and waited together, reminding each other of God's good promises from his word, that the good God, he always keeps his promises, always. And so as we come to the home stretch, as we finish, what sort of church has Christ Jesus saved all of us to be as we begin a new year? Well, Paul writes this to Christians in the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Having come once, so we are to watch and wait for God's king to come again. When all the groaning, when every tear, all the sin, all the death, everything, gone, all the sadness, gone. And I think Simeon and Anna, particularly here, they teach us how we can wait and witness to this Jesus. Witness to him with all joy and thankfulness to God as we wait together, as we watch together. A people who gather as often as you can with each other, prayerfully dependent on the Holy Spirit, looking only to Jesus, only to Jesus. And as we do that, strengthening one another to love and obey God's word with all joy and believing, showing God-like hospitality to one another, opening our arms wide to the hurt and the hurting, the abandoned, the people who are different from us, opening our arms wide to show God-like hospitality, generous and kind to one another, chasing after those who are straying off into sin and gently restoring them, coming alongside them from as long as it takes to bring them back, looking out for one another whose faith is wavering, wavering for whatever, you know, they're being hit by all sides. I met someone last week who was back in church, hadn't been back in church for a long time. She's lost three close family members, her mum included, in the last two months. And as we gather and care for one another, praying for them, praying with them, but also as they pray for you, praying together, why don't we do that now?
Merciful Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the gift of Luke's Gospel, for the gift of this scripture, where uh, through those eyewitnesses who were there, we just see so beautifully, uh, so richly, so wonderfully, we see Jesus, your salvation for the world. We see Jesus, your salvation for us, for our family, our relatives, our friends, for those who you've put in our orbit, in our world. Father, I just pray you would help us as we we start this year um, to see Jesus more clearly, uh, to grab hold of him more wholesomely. Uh, And Father, please will you help us to let go of whatever we need to let go of in our lives, whatever idols we're chasing that we need to let go of, so we can come to you more fully. We can come and grab hold of Jesus, your salvation, more wholeheartedly. And please will you help each of us to know the joy of Jesus for our own lives, but also the delight, the joy of talking to others about this, about Jesus, about your salvation for the world. Please will you help each of us to know many, many times this year the joy of telling others. And we pray you'd help us to keep doing this as we watch and wait together for your son's return. We pray this for the sake of the loss, for the building up of your church, and we especially pray it for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' precious and powerful name, amen.